used to sing that. I, I remember when I used to lead singing at our former church at times, and um, and I, you know, you you always, you know, figure out what what songs do I choose. And I did much like I think Kirk probably does a little bit more than I do, but I, I used to keep track of what songs we sang and when we sang them and that type of thing. And that was one that I always picked a little prior to Christmas because it's not so much a Christmas song, but it is close. It's got that idea behind it. So, um, but don't be thinking about Christmas yet. <laughs> we still have Thanksgiving to get to. And uh, that's really what, too late, huh? <laughs> so that's really what I want to focus a little bit on this morning. Uh, I want us to uh, be prepared for Thanksgiving. And uh, that is the, the focus of our message this morning. I'm sure next week, I think Brother Joe Montgomery is going to be speaking. He'll probably hone it a little bit more in reference to our Thanksgiving and obviously our praise service on, on Sunday night. Uh, we'll sort of predate a few days from the real Thanksgiving that uh, takes place, maybe with family and friends. Uh, you'll have time to uh, thank the Lord publicly among them. Uh, I hope you you are able to do that. I know sometimes family gatherings are mixed and there's some unsaved people there. But uh, if it happens to be at your house, that doesn't mean you couldn't actually bring them to that point, even though they aren't saved. But uh, I want us to sort of prepare our hearts, as it were, in order that we might have a good praise coming up uh, at Thanksgiving. You know, nearly everything <clears throat> in life that is important in some way, we are, we we're always preparing for. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I didn't look at the statistics on this, but I just wonder how much of life is preparation, right? In a sense, all of life is preparation for the believer, because someday we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and He's going to determine the things that we've done in our bodies, whether things and, and not only the things that we've done but the attitudes that we've had when we were doing those things. He's going to judge that fault. He's going to bring that to light. He's going to shine the light on that. And and so much so that we might even say he's obviously going to bring it to a point of judgment. He's going to put it to the test of fire. And he's going to, the things that, that are peripheral that didn't really weren't done in the right way or done for the right reasons or the things that weren't even done right that's all going to be burned up but the things that have value the things that were done out of a praise and a thanksgiving toward god the things that were done for his glory uh, those things are going to remain and those things are going to be that which was is going to be gold silver precious stone the things that are valuable um you know, all all of life is is preparation. I mean, we we face it everywhere we are. We face, uh, ladies are facing meal 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 preparation every day. I mean, maybe some of you men fix your meals too. So <laughs> maybe that's true. Maybe I I know I put together my lunch a little bit. My wife does some preparation, then I kind of put it together. But if you don't prepare, uh, it's not going to be something that's going to be of value. In the end, it's not going to be uh, profitable. Uh, we we take in our country, we're kindergarten in 12 years, 
to get a diploma, a high school diploma, a graduation. That's all preparation for something. And then people go on beyond that, do four years, perhaps two years of study, maybe four years of study, get a, get a, uh, a regular uh, college degree, and then some spend more and get, you know, master's degrees, and then beyond that, even doctor's degrees. And, and even after that, you can add on doctorates to, upon doctorates, right? Preparation. We're, prep, we're preparing for winter coming up, no doubt. Many of you probably have got your oil tanks filled by now, I would imagine, uh, or your gas or propane, or maybe some of you, I know some of you, because those are the ones that are tired in here, the ones that have uh, put together wood for the winter. <laughs> if that's all you use, you know how tired that can be. Uh, a lot of splitting and cutting and stacking and then restacking and then moving and then throwing it into the thing. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Uh, to, to heat with wood, but it's all preparation, right? It's preparing ahead of time. Um, <clears throat> in the spring, we prepare our gardens uh, for the growing season that's coming up. We prepare our houses, ladies, no doubt, for company as they come, preparing. We prepare for va vacations, big events in our lives, big events. Uh, we certainly prepare for weddings, as mm, if anybody's snoring in that corner back there, you'll know why. <laughs> But uh, there was preparation for, for weddings, uh, Emily and Garrett's wedding yesterday. Um, um, we were, a lot of preparation that took place, hours and hours and hours of thinking and putting together and doing uh, so that that could all come together to be a, to be a blessing. There are many quotes out there on the I concept of preparing. And so I, I thought I'd take a few of these and, and share them with you. Uh, it's from a variety of different people, some people that we would consider really wise, even one from Confucius here at the beginning. Uh, and then, then there are people like, you know, statesmen that have talked about preparation. I found the right one over there. Okay. Uh, then, there is, uh, then there is statesmen. There are also inventors and sports people. So here's some quotes about preparation. Success depends upon previous preparation, and without such preparation, there's sure to be failure. That's Confucius. Um, Winston Churchill said, plans are of little importance, but planning is essential. Abraham Lincoln, give me six hours to chop down a tree, and I will spend the first four sharpening the axe. That's pretty interesting. We sharpen our chainsaws, but <laughs> Alexander Graham Bell, inventor. Before anything else, preparation is the key to success. George Washington Carver said, there's no shortcut to achievement. Life requires thorough preparation. Veneer isn't worth anything. And he wasn't talking about like the veneer that we have, you know, on, you know. <laughs> he was talking about the idea of super, uh, superficially being something valuable or pleasing in appearance to something. So a little bit different use of that word veneer. But, yeah, there's no shortcut to achievement. And, boy, he, he's not somebody that can be looked at as an example for that. I mean, the hours that he spent, little sleep in order to invent things. Yeah, How many things did he come up with from the peanut? Wasn't it George Washington Carver that used that peanut to come up with a lot of different things? 
Um, and then uh, a couple of coaches, uh, both of which are passed on now, but you probably know Bobby Knight and Joe Paterno, but here's what they said. They almost quote each other. The key is not the will to win. Everybody has that. It is the will to prepare to win that is important. And then the will to win is important, but the will to prepare is vital. So preparation. Preparation is <coughs> vital. It's important in our lives if anything is going to be successful. So I want us to be prepared for Thanksgiving that, uh, that we can have a heart to praise our God. And I, a few extra steps in order to help you, and I hope you'll prepare yourself. This is just the beginning of that preparation. Certainly it's something that you're going to have to take on as preparation. <clears throat> I'm not going to do it all this morning. But in order to help you, I've, I've placed on the back here a couple, they're, they're light blue, little small slips. And on those slips, um, there are a couple of things. Uh, there are doxologies in the New Testament. Now, these aren't all the doxologies of the New Testament. There's several that I didn't even put on there in, in the sense that some are smaller than others. A doxology is that which is doxa means glory and ology has to do with sayings okay so these are sayings that glorify god and so they're short concise sayings within the scripture and these were well thought out maybe the, these were even maybe some some things that that people would quote to each other as believers um in the early in the early church and uh, of course some of these ended up in scripture or if, if they weren't quoted, they certainly were quoted after they ended up in the scripture. When, when Paul would write to these churches, he would give them these doxologies or even Jude. And so I have several of them listed there, uh, a couple in Romans, one in Ephesians, and one in, one in to Timothy. And then Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews gives one for us, and Jude writes a pretty lengthy one, uh, which I believe Pastor Maudsley covered when he covered the book of Jude. And then Revelation, of course, at the beginning of Revelation, John gives us a doxology, but it's kind of funny because most of the doxologies come at the end, but John puts one right at the beginning of Revelation. There's plenty more throughout the book of Revelation, too, uh, probably filled more with doxology in the New Testament than any other book. But these are short phrases, and some are shorter than others, but they're pointing uh, the glory to God and oftentimes giving him uh, praise for certain things that he has done and certain and certain character that he has displayed. And then along with that, I also um, I also gave you uh, something out of the book of Psalms, I believe. I'm almost can't can't remember now what I what I put on that sheet. <laughs> um, uh, I believe it's out of the book. Yeah, let me see that. I wrote that down. <laughs> All right, yes, it's uh, the book of Psalms in the sense that uh, how the Psalms are broken down into five books. Maybe you're not familiar with this, but the book of Psalms, a collection of 150 Psalms, is, uh, is put together and was put together by somebody, perhaps scribes, no doubt, maybe Ezra, perhaps. Um, these early on, they put the, 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 the book of the Psalms together, and it doesn't have to do with who wrote what Psalms, all right? It doesn't have to do with that, but oftentimes it, it, it has to do with 
it's it's thematic throughout the psalms and it, there, there there's so many psalms and so so much variety there matter of fact somebody said there's probably a psalm for every every area of life every point in life there's a psalm written that covers that point in life um but but at the end of every one of these books within the psalm book one book two book three book five all right and i have them listed out there the the how there are and you'll see in your bible <clears throat> most bibles will have the delineation between the books i don't know if you've noticed that before but if you'll go to the end of every one of those books there are doxologies at the end of those psalms so they include a psalm at the end of that particular book that the section within the psalms and there's a doxology that takes place in the one or two verses prior to the next book starting so obviously somebody took a lot of time to think through all of this and to compile all that and uh <clears throat> and i want that to be a blessing to you so those are some ways by looking at these doxologies of the new testament and also looking at these doxologies at the end of these books within the psalms um you're going to help prepare your heart for praising god on thanksgiving or even our service next week when we come to our praise service next week i trust that each one will have something to share in praise the lord we used to do it i don't know if you how many were here when we used to do it but when we had a whole thanksgiving dinner on sunday afternoon prior to thanksgiving which put a lot of pressure on the ladies to make two thanksgiving dinners uh one uh, one for our church family and then maybe one for your home family uh your regular family immediate family um, but we used to pass the microphone around the tables after we were done eating and everybody would give something that they were thankful for nearly everybody did it i mean occasionally somebody passed it on from it wasn't mandatory or anything but even our even the young people at that time the little kids would give thanks to the lord for things that the lord has done for them so not a bad thing but I don't know what we're doing in our praise service, but hopefully we'll have opportunity, some of us, if not all of us, to give praise to the Lord. So prepare your hearts for that. Be in preparation for that. It'll make it more meaningful. It will be definitely uh, more thoughtful if we give uh, attention to that. So a prepared heart to praise. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning in preparation for that to <clears throat> Psalm 111. Psalm 111. Psalm 111, 112, and 113, we're going to try to like look at in general. Obviously, there's too many verses there to cover in a lot of detail. Um, but this is also a preparation. Maybe you know uh, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, I believe it is, is called the Hillel. And uh, we've probably mentioned this. I know we read these psalms not that long ago, and, and I know I made reference to this, but and others have made reference to this. Um, but they start uh, with this, uh, or, or they have as their focus praise to God. All, psalm 1, 113 through 118. And it's interesting that in Psalm 118, it would seem... Uh, these psalms were used by the Jewish people and continue to be used by the Jewish people at feast events 
and the Passover was one in which it was used. And if you remember, the Lord instituted his table, the Lord's table, that we observed, continue, continue to observe even now. Uh, and oftentimes we, we sing a hymn because we say they sang a hymn when they went out that, before they went out that night. Well, what hymn did they sing? Well, we don't know exactly. The scripture doesn't say. But it's very possible that it was Psalm, Psalm 118. Um, it was very, very possible because this is what the Jews would, would quote. They had these verses, these chapters memorized. And, uh, and if you look down through Psalm 118 sometime, maybe you get a chance to do that, you're going to see some pretty, pretty incredible verses. If this was the song that they sang, the Lord is... There's prophetic verses there about the Lord's death and resurrection, uh, at least the Lord's death. Um, in verse 22, just look at that real quick, Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The day he's talking about there is the day of resurrection. This is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice. So that stone that the builders rejected became the cornerstone of the foundation of the church. And Peter makes reference to this. Other writers in, in uh, I, believe, I believe Hebrews make reference to this, uh, to this passage, perhaps others. Uh, important passage. This is the day. Any day we should rejoice and be glad in it, but in particular, the first day of the week, which that's the reason why the, the, the believers began to meet on Sunday, because that was the day of resurrection. So literally every Sunday is a resurrection Sunday for the believer. I know we celebrate Easter, and that happened on that particular time. That we know happened on the particular time. Christmas, we don't know when that happened. It probably didn't happen in, in December. The Lord's birth probably didn't happen then. Um, but Easter, we know exactly when it happened because it was around the Passover. It was definitely a definite time set on the Jewish calendar. And uh, the day of resurrection is the day that we need to rejoice and be glad in. Though every day is, is a day to rejoice and be glad, but particularly Sunday that we can do that because Jesus was made the head of the corner, the headstone. All right. Let's look back now to Psalm 111, which is the preparation. These three verse, these three psalms I take as a group, because Psalm 1 and 112, 111, 113 all began with the three words, praise the Lord. All right, praise the Lord. And so I want to look at these three as uh, we kind of prepare our hearts to praise. First of all, notice... Let's just read down through some of these verses. Um, let's just read a few verses here in Psalm 111. We'll skip around just a little bit uh, as we go further. But let me read all, let's just read all of Psalm 11, and then we'll skip beyond that, skip around. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. 
He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. So praising God and the fact that he starts with praise the Lord and he ends with that praise enduring forever. So what about the place and the time to praise? Well, first of all, notice he says it is that he is going to give thanks in the company or the assembly, I think the King James says, of the upright, the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. Now, he could be paralleling those two things. Certainly, the assembly of the upright should also be the congregation. But it may be that he's making a distinction between a small group and a larger group. That's what many commentators mention, that this assembly, this group, this company of the upright probably is more of a private setting in a smaller group rather than uh, the congregation being obviously a more public setting. So where, when is it time to give praise to God? Where is the place to do it? Well, it's in small groups or it's in large groups. It's wherever you find yourself among God's people or maybe even among other people, but certainly among God's people. Uh, in the assembly of the upright, that's obviously talking about believers there. Um, they wouldn't be upright if they were the wicked or if they were, had, not, had no regard for God. And then obviously the congregation that he's talking about is a congregation, a group, a large setting of the, of, uh, at that time it would be the Israelites together, but certainly us as Christians together. So the time also is, takes place there in verse, um, uh, in verse two and three, it gives us a time setting. How often do we do it or how long will it last? And that is that it endures forever. All right? His righteousness endures forever. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all those who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. Because his righteousness endures forever, then no doubt he is saying at the very end of the psalm that his praise endures forever. It's because of God's character and his person and his eternality that obviously, as God is eternal, so our praise to him should also uh, be eternal, never-ending. There is no end to his works. He continues, and we, and, and we continue to study the works of the Lord. I mean, through studying the scripture, we study the works of the Lord, and we continue to delight in those things that we find. It's just right after the Hillel Psalms here that... We have been reading Psalm 119 that talks about God's word and uh, it mentions God's word nearly in every verse, just a few verses that don't mention God's word. 
and uh, and it's thoughtful, as we as we discussed before. That is an uh, sort of an alphabetical psalm, and so whoever put that together was very thoughtful. And there are other psalms within the psalms that are alphabetical psalms where every verse builds on the next letter of the alphabet in Hebrew. Uh, we'll look at one of those uh, briefly um, in just a few minutes. But when is it the place and the time to praise? Well, it's within the assembly. It's within the congregation. And it's an eternal period of time that we can praise. Secondly, the person and the purpose on w- in which to praise Notice God's character that's mentioned throughout this, uh, this, first, uh, this first psalm that we're looking at. God's character. Um, God's character shows up in verse 3. The fact that he t- it talks about um, his righteousness. All right, He is righteous. It also shows up in verse 4 uh, where it says that he is gracious and merciful. Full of compassion, I think is the King James on that. Um, it, he has, he is compa- he's a compassionate God. This is his character. Uh, notice in verse 9 is uh, his covenant. Holy and awesome is his name. All right, so there's two more, uh, or revered, or reverend. All right, that, that word is most oftentimes translated as fear. Uh, throughout the Old Testament. It occurs over 300 times in the Old Testament. Very few times is it ever translated, even as the King James translated here, reverence, or even as the ESV translated here, awesome. (laughs) For the most part, it's fear. But it creates awe. When we fear God, we, we stand in awe of him. That's the idea of the word awesome, right? When we say, when we say somebody is awesome, because they're so good at what they do that we are just struck that, wow, that is awesome, man. Right? So that word is kind of like, you know, it's, it's a, used a little differently now, maybe kind of a little loosely. But uh, it, it, it's all about fear when it comes to God. This, when this word is used through the, the, in the Hebrew in the Old Testament, it is that we are to fear God. We are to stand in awe of who he is and his greatness and his goodness uh, certainly magnify that standing in awe. All right, so that's God's character being uh, the person in which we are to praise and we're seeing the character of God. Now we also see in these verses his conduct. We see his conduct. We know that what he does is great. Um, I don't think I wrote those verses down, but you can see throughout there, he's, it's talking about great. In verse, verse 2, there it is. Great are the works of the Lord. All right? So what he does is great. Uh, there's other words that are used here, which I'll just mention so we don't take too much time here to look at every specific verse. We've already read it. But honorable, glorious, wonderful, um, these are things that God does. And not only that, but he also remembers. And he, and he is full of truth and judgment. All right? uh, he also provides redemption. We'll see that in, verse, in chapter 13 where 
the psalmist now begins this Hillel part of the psalm, and he is he's focused in on the redemption that God is uh, providing for the children of Israel. Um, uh, he sets that up uh, in verse in chapter 13, and then in verse 14, he specifically talks about the redemption coming out of Egypt and what God did in, in bringing them uh, out of out of Egypt's the the Egyptian slavery and bondage that they were in, and certainly there are rep repercussions that the New Testament brings about uh, in reference to that. That our salvation is that which we are freed from the bonds of our sin, and that was pictured there as Israel came out of of Egypt. So there's God's conduct that takes place. Then we see God's commands, and His commands are. And I'll just read these for us, but they're throughout this psalm that we just read. There's truth and uprightness. Uh, they stand fast forever. There is, and the truth and uprightness really point to the purity in which God's commands lie. And then the permanence, the standing fast forever, the permanence that God's uh, commands have uh, over our lives, the permanence there. Um, so this is the person and then the purpose to praise. Now, as we move on, you'll notice, even though he praises the Lord in Psalm 112, the way he did in Psalm 111, if, uh, if, if you just kind of glance down through there, there's a lot of pronouns that are used, he, him, that type of thing in verse, in chapter 11. And then you'll see those same pronouns being used in chapter 12, but it changes the focus in, in chapter 112 from 111. 111 is really those, most of those pronouns are referring to God himself. But when you go to 112, even though we're still talking about God, it focuses on the man that fears God. And so most of those pronouns in chapter 112 refer to that man, right? So the focus has changed now um, in, these, in these psalms from this psalm to the next. So these now become the people and the products of praise. The people who praise and, and how we produce that praise. Right? And look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord who greatly delights in his commandments. So how is it that we are going to have a prepared heart to praise, we're going to be delighting in the commandments of our God. So many commandments throughout the scripture, over 600, I believe, are commands within the scripture. And we can delight in those commands that God has given to us. And, and the person that fears God will do that. The person who reverences God, not that we, you know, fear is, there's a, there's a, Fear that comes when we understand who God is and what he can do to us, that fear ought to drive us to him. But once we come to know him, and once we come to uh, receive the salvation that he's provided through his son, we still fear that God, but it's a reverence of that God that we have. It's a respect for him, and it's like a reverence that a young person would have for his father or mother 
They may fear their parents when they're young for the discipline that comes, but once they get older and they mature, they no longer fear the discipline that would come because I've disappointed my parents, but we fear the disappointment. We fear, we fear disappointing our parents because we respect them so much. And so this is the way uh, that happens, no doubt, as a, as a believer. When we first come to know God, we, we understand, we, we recognize who he is and what he can do to us and what he will do to those that have never trusted him, and we ought to fear that. But as we grow in our relationship with our God, uh, we ought to continue to fear him, but that fear turns to reverence more than a dread that we have of our God. So a reverence of our God. So we are delighting greatly in his commandments. Second, a second thing that we do is that there, um, there is prosperity, here's how I put it, prosperity of posterity, okay? So there is blessings that come and as we fear God and we follow his commandments, there's blessings that come from that and it extends to our offspring, extends to our children and their children. Uh, verse 2, his offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Not only that, but here's a person who has wealth and riches in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Now, again, that's not talking about God. That's talking about this man who's fearing God, that he gives great wealth and riches to that person and his righteousness, those right works that that person is doing will have a lasting effect. It certainly is affecting his children, and but it's going to ultimately have a lasting effect uh, throughout his life and, uh, and the life to come and the rewards that he's going to receive from, from that. Um, let's see, look down to verse 7. Again, we're going to jump a little bit. Not, not able to cover this whole thing. Running out of time already. All right. Um, his heart is not afraid of bad news. Uh, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. So there's trust. There's trust in the Lord that comes. What are some other things that happens as products of praise? Um, verse 8, his heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. So there's, there's a reducing of fear or a, an absence of fear, as it were. Um, not only that, he also has righteous actions in verse um, 5 of chapter 12 where it says he conducts his affairs affairs with justice in other words he's living his life uh so that he is pleasing god with his life with his life so that god is pleased with that and in it he is just and right in what he is doing the carefulness uh it's interesting that the phrase heart comes up here three times within these passages that we've looked at already, that we've mentioned. Let me just point them out to you again. In chapter 11, verse 1, it says that there is a whole heart. I think that speaks of complete commitment. 
And then in, in, in chapter 12, 112, um, verses 7 and 8, there are two other times that this word heart comes up. And it says that his heart is firm or fixed. All right. And that speaks of convinced commitment. And then it's established or it's steady, as the ESV puts it, in verse 8. And it, that speaks really of confirmed commitment. So you got complete commitment, whole heart, fixed heart, a convinced commitment. In other words, he's he's focused. And, and an established heart, and that has to do with the confirmation. It's more established, more confirmed commitment that a person has. And uh, so that, that's a good little study to, to focus in on a little bit. And then verse, verse 9, it says, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. His horn is exalted in honor. There's a cross-reference to this in my Bible and many other Bibles. In fact, to Psalm chapter 75 you want to turn back there real quick, Psalm 75, verse 10. What is this idea of his horn, right? Horn has reference to his power or his influence that someone, that, that someone has. And notice what he contrasts that, that horn and the way, the way the Lord is going to deal with people in reference to their power and their influence. 75 verse 10, last verse of chapter 75, it says, All the horns of the wicked I will cut off. All right, so when it comes to the influence and the power of the wicked, God's going to cut that off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. So there's going to be an extension, a lifting up of that. This is a passage I, that, that was quoted also in the New Testament. In, uh, in 2 Corinthians, in that passage where Paul is dealing with, with the finances, interesting enough, and I mean, even that passage that we just talked about in verse 9 talks about distributing freely, uh, given to the poor, and prior to that it talked about wealth and riches. But Paul is dealing with the Corinthians about their giving, um, and in chapter 9 he quotes from this passage, chapter 9, verse 9, um, of Second Corinthians, I gotta find it here. As it is written, he has distributed freely; he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Um, so it's the the influence, the power, the ability that that person has. And that is, is increased, his horn uh, is increased, as it were, uh, by God. But the wicked, it's going to be uh, cut off. What I thought about when I, when I read this passage, is a perfect illustration of this is in the book of Esther. You remember Esther had an uncle whose name was Mordecai. And Mordecai was, was, uh, was hated by this other man who was in the king, who was like the king's top man, right? And uh, Naaman, uh, you remember the story about what happened there. And Naaman tries to get Mordecai in trouble so that he gets that he gets uh, hung. <laughs> and it's really on those gallows that 
Naaman ends up, I mean, uh, Haman. <laughs> Did I say Haman earlier too? All right, Haman ends up getting hung on those on those gallows, the same gallows that he built for, built for Mordecai. And this is what the Lord has done. He kind of turned the tables on this whole thing. Um, and, and he has the ability to do that to those that are righteous uh, and those that are unrighteous. Well, um, we don't have a lot of time here to continue, but I want to take us just a second to look at Psalm 145, which really is gives to us a pattern uh, for prayer, uh, or a pattern for praise, I should say. It's interesting that Psalm 145 in Psalm 145 the connection here of between this passage um, Psalm 145 is is David's psalm of praise. Turn there real quickly. David's song of praise. This is really, uh, there were many of the, the psalms that are listed, and they have headings in the, in the psalms. Not all the psalms have headings, but several of them do. And uh, these headings mean something, and, and they are just as inspired as, as the psalm itself. Okay, Don't think that somebody added these. These were added by the, the person who wrote them. So these are important, right? those that we have. Not all, again, not all of them have them. But uh, they have, there's Hebrew designations, uh, Hebrew words that designate certain things throughout these psalms. Um, Thirteen of the psalms are, are called this Hebrew word shir, which I, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right because I don't know Hebrew. But uh, 13 have this, and it has to do with a, flow of speech as it were in a straight line or a regular strain so it, it really means a song an ode uh, something that's flowing out uh, and 13 of them have that 58 songs bear a different designation um, a Hebrew word mitzmor all right uh, which has to do with a lyrical ode or a song set to music a sacred song accompanied with a musical instrument and then uh, a few other psalms, like this one here in Psalm 145, and a couple others, not many, but have this word, Tehillel, which that's very similar to that word Hillel that we were just looking at in the psalm and made reference to in Psalm 113 to 118. That, uh, that's what this is. And it's interesting that this is the only time, though I think one other time, a different word is translated the same. But this is a song of praise of David. You would think that many of the psalms would be called a song of praise. But this is really the, the one from David that is called that throughout the book of Psalms. Many of them have praise in it. But here is David's pattern for praise. If you want to meditate on that in reference to uh, uh, Thanksgiving coming up, it certainly would be a good psalm to look at. And one other psalm that would be a very good psalm to look at in preparation of our hearts for Thanksgiving is the Psalm 136. Psalm 136, as you well know, maybe you don't, but if you look over there real quick, you'll see what I'm talking about. It ends, the end of each verse ends the same. And so it's repetition. It, it's almost like you get tired of saying it. 
all right? His mercy endures forever, or his steadfast love endures forever. That phrase continues to come up over and over at the end of every verse throughout the whole book of Psalm 136, 26 verses, and it constantly is referencing God's mercy or his steadfast love that endures forever. That's called the Great Hillel Psalm, that one, because of the amount of times uh, that that comes up. So I, I trust that, that God will help us uh, as we come to a time of thanksgiving coming up. In, and our, our country recognizes this, right? Our country recognizes that we ought to be thankful. It's amazing. You know, you, there was, I can't remember that phrase. It talks about, I can't remember how it goes. Something about, you know, you know what's the, the dilemma of a guy who, who's an atheist that, that uh, wins something big, and now he has nobody to thank, right? Because <laughs> he doesn't believe in God, right? Or he something incredible happens to him. I can't remember how the phrase goes, but it's quite humorous. But, uh, but we are not that way, right? We believe in, in God. We have somebody to thank. I hope you're doing that throughout your days, that you're, you're praising God and, and thanking God throughout the day for things that he, maybe small things that come up. And you, and you just say, thank, I catch myself doing this all the time. Even when I was the other day walking in the woods and I just about fell and I was able to catch myself and I said, thank you, God. I mean, it could have been disaster, you know. There were many rocks around. There, who knows what could have happened? Uh, so oftentimes uh, we're thankful throughout the day. But we ought to be cultivating this uh, pattern, uh, this praise, uh, preparing our hearts for this opportunity that we have to be thankful. Even as our country recognizes it, many of them probably aren't giving thanks I don't even know who they're giving thanks to. They just call it Turkey Day now instead of uh, Thanksgiving Day. Uh, they like to try to take that thankfulness part right out of the word, right out of the concept. Uh, but certainly as believers, we ought to be uh, preparing our hearts for that day. And even our next Sunday, when we have a time of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord, that will prepare our hearts, that it will be meaningful, that it will, that it will be, uh, that it won't be just, Another another day on the calendar, uh, but that it'll it'll mean something as we give praise and honor our God. Let's have a word of prayer together. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for these psalms that we have had a chance to just peruse a little bit this morning and give a few thoughts. Lord, we we know that your character is such that throughout the psalms we see your greatness and your goodness. Uh, we see your holiness and righteousness, your justice and your mercy, your grace, your compassion, your transcendence, your splendor, your awesomeness. Lord, we stand in awe of all that you have done. Lord, again, time is just a blip to you. But, Lord, you've given us just a certain number of days to live on this earth. And, Lord, I pray that each one of those days would be a day of thankfulness. Lord, it's hard to 
to live and continue to dwell upon that which is wrong and to do that which is wrong when we have a thankful heart. So Lord, help us to even use this concept of thankfulness and gratefulness to drive uh, sin far from us. Lord, we thank you for the salvation that you have given through your son. You 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 pictured that salvation through the way that you were kind and gracious and merciful to Israel and bringing them out of Egypt and, and bondage through the the blood even as it was pictured and and put upon the doorpost lord we have that that same release and forgiveness of our sins through your blood your son shed on the cross lord we thank you for that we thank you that he was the lamb from you your chosen lamb to take away the sins of the world lord i pray that you would help us to Stand in awe, just even of our salvation, even at this Thanksgiving time. And Lord, I pray that you would cause that thankfulness to translate into our duty to tell others about what you have done. Give to us a burden to do that, to reach the lost with the gospel. Give us grateful hearts and prepare our hearts, Lord, as we would prepare them through reading your word and meditating upon these things as we come to this time in our season uh, of thank a, a season of thanksgiving and we'll thank you and praise you for what you